0: Good morning. It is, uh, it's hot today. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a little, but, but we've got some breezes coming in. We'll be fine. So, um, as Stephen mentioned before, so we were doing a series in Isaiah. We're taking a little break. We're going to be going outside next week. So today I'm going to be preaching from 1 Corinthians And then we're not going to talk about 1 Corinthians again. So our normal sermon series, it's kind of like a TV show. You know, we start at the beginning of a book and we work our way through. This is kind of like a one shot. This is like a movie, just one picture of um, a couple verses in 1 Corinthians that we'll look at, uh, soak it in, and then we'll move on to, to the next book. So, I believe it's on page 1218 in the Pew Bible in front of you, but it's also in the uh, bulletin as usual. So, I'm sure that some of you have noticed. If you haven't noticed, you certainly will once you move back outside and I start wearing t-shirts again. But I have a couple tattoos. I actually have four. And I'm not the only member of this church who does. Now, some Christians some Christians believe that the idea of tattoos and getting tattoos is extremely sinful. They probably get that from Leviticus 19, which says, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. Now that law was for different people in a different time. The previous verses in that law say, don't make your daughter a prostitute and don't cut your beard. So you have some that we should follow and some we should probably cut our beards in the summer, right? Now, reading the Bible in context, reading the Bible's rules in context is extremely important, understanding the Lord's intention for those laws. Just as the Bible tells one another to greet each other with a holy kiss, and yet my cheeks are dry this morning. I don't know if it's just me or if you're all kissing each other and leaving me out. I don't know what it is, but that's okay. Even so, Some Christians will still believe that getting tattoos is sinful, probably because the Bible tells us that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now the question that could come into that is, well, who's right? Right? And this is just one example of a worldly thing that Christians can sometimes disagree on. And I'm not talking about like explicit commands given to us in the Bible. Right? Reserving sex for marriage, uh, attending church in fellowship, Telling the truth, those are all like really clear things that the Bible doesn't waver on, right? But I'm talking about things that kind of gray areas, right? Such as drinking alcohol responsibly, gambling, watching all rated movies or TV shows, listening to music that's not Christian, reading non Christian books. I know Harry Potter has been a big contention in the church over the years. Supporting non-Christian companies, etc., etc., etc. The Bible doesn't really talk about specifically how to deal with that. The Bible doesn't talk about how to invest in stocks well, or how to respond when a company or political party does something that we don't, we as the church don't agree with. Well, today we're going to look at First Corinthians, where Paul is writing to the church at Corinth about the idea of Christian liberty. Christian liberty. Christian liberty is the freedom that Christians have to live in a sinful world and yet not sin themselves and to repent if they do fall into sin. But as many parents probably know when dealing with their children, just because you are free to do something doesn't mean that you should. The main point I'll be making today is that our freedom is intended for love, not indulgence. Our freedom is intended for love, not indulgence. We'll take a look at what our freedom is in Christ and what that freedom is meant for. Or, to quote Paul in another biblical book, Galatians, he writes, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Listen to the second half of that verse again. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's my point, and that's Paul's point in our passage today. So what does it look like to have Christian liberty, to love and serve one another, rather than using it as an opportunity to sin? Let's look at our text to see what Paul says about Christian liberty. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, "'All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the grounds of conscience.' For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul is examining a gray area that the church at Corinth had trouble dealing with, which was eating meat, which came from a sacrifice, Back then, meat was really expensive and kind of hard to come by. It was given to the priests of the city first, who would sacrifice it to the idol of Apollo. Then the leftover meat would be sold in the markets. Even though these Christians were not sacrificing the meat themselves, it still felt kind of tainted. It still felt kind of wrong. Now, here's why this is such a gray area. On the one hand, these idols don't exist. They're fake. So the meat being offered to them isn't really different than any other meat. But on the other hand, if someone sees a Christian eating meat sacrificed to an idol, they might get the wrong idea about what Christians believe. It's kind of a gray area. A modern day example might kind of help us get into a better headspace of those in Corinth. Our salvation, which I'll I'll talk about in a little bit, is not based on what we do. Our salvation is not based on the food we eat or the drinks that we drink. Our salvation is based on Christ's work for us on the cross. We have no impact on it based on what we do. We are free to eat and drink however we please. So as Christians, theologically, yes, we are allowed to drink alcohol as long as we abide by the Bible's clear commands to be sober-minded and not drunk or elsewise inhibit our ability to think clearly. Peter writes a few times in his books to be sober-minded and self-controlled. And Paul specifically writes not to get drunk on wine. So if you drink alcohol to lose control or to cope with things in unhealthy ways, you're in sin. But if we can drink alcohol responsibly with not, lose, not losing self-control, making sure that our conscience is clear then you're probably fine. You're not sinning. However, if there is one among you who cannot separate drinking alcohol from getting drunk, we wouldn't want to encourage that person to drink or even drink around them out of respect. So in the same way with our example today, you're free to eat whatever meat is in the market But if there's someone among you who has trouble eating the meat without sacrificing to that false idol, it's probably not best to eat around them. What I'm getting at here is the context is what matters of the situation, the character of the situation. That's what Paul is saying today. All this is wrapped up in the main idea that I mentioned earlier, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but rather through love serve one another. So let's see how Paul breaks down this argument. Read the first five verses with me. Paul writes, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. Now, when Paul quotes all things are lawful, he's not quoting a Bible verse. There's not a Bible verse that says that. He's most likely quoting a saying that the Corinthians had and would use to sometimes justify sinful actions. So even though it's not from the Bible, it comes from a theological truth that all things are lawful for us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are created to be holy to love one another, to worship God with all of our being. But ever since the Garden of Eden, when humans first sinned, we have been infected with sin and unable to completely throw off our sinful ways. The just penalty for that sin is death. We cannot live a sinless life, and therefore we have to take that penalty of spiritual death and absence from God. This is why it is so important that Christ came and lived a sinless life. His death on the cross is massively important. That's why we have crosses everywhere. But do not forget that his death on the cross only has meaning because of his sinless life. We can't forget that part of the gospel. Because he lived a perfect sinless life, he did not deserve the penalty of death that was given to him on the cross. He took that for us. He died for us on the cross. So now when we break the law and when we sin against him and against others, we can repent and be forgiven because our past, present, and future sins have all been paid for by his one sacrifice on the cross. We're not just given one get-out-of-jail-free card. We're given an unlimited number. Before, all we could do was sin. We had no concept otherwise. But now we are freed from that bondage from sin. Jesus says it better than I ever could. He says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you want a more theologically deep explanation of this concept, Romans 8 does a really great job of breaking it down. And if the freedom that we have in Christ is something you want to learn more about, Stephen or I would love to talk to you after the service. So, since we are given a free life to live unafraid of the law because our penalty has already been paid for, everything is technically lawful to us. Romans 8 says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have no condemnation because Christ has already took our penalty. We have been set free from the law of sin and death. But even though we are free, we shouldn't use that freedom to continue to fall into sin. We shouldn't use that freedom to continually stray from God and into the tempting poison of sin. Consider this. Just as a toddler gains freedom from a crib doesn't mean that they should throw themselves off of the bed. The freedom to drive when you turn 16 doesn't mean go ahead and get into the first accident you can. The freedom to spend money doesn't mean spend it all. The freedom of speech doesn't mean to hate. Just because we can do something and we have the freedom to do something doesn't mean that we should. But Paul specifically in our text today is talking about food. Look at verses 25 and 26 again. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. For the earth is the Lord in the fullness thereof. So he's quoting Psalm 24, which talks about how the Lord is Lord over the entire earth. It's his, he made it. He gets to determine how it's used. The fact that meat is God's creation given to us to eat trumps anyone's intention of using it to offer to false idols. Just because someone uses a car for the sinful action of running someone over doesn't erase its intended purpose of driving on the roads. If someone gets into a car accident and runs someone over, the person who drove the car is at fault, not the car company. Because the car company intended it for driving, transportation. So in terms of a believer's conscience, Paul says we are free to eat whatever meat is in the market. We're free to even go over someone's house and eat whatever they put before us. Since we know that someone else's sin cannot cost us our salvation, because our salvation is because of Christ's work on the cross, not because of what someone does to us, we can go over and eat whatever we want. Time spent with non-Christians won't cost us our faith unless we let it. Now what do I mean by that? Consider the role of influence in our everyday lives. The Bible has a lot to say about the effect on bad influences on us. Proverbs 13 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 6 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Proverbs 22 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So as Christians, we're free to be friends with people outside of the church, right? But if we're spending time with someone who makes unwise decisions and influences you more than you influence them, you may want to evaluate how your friendship is affecting your heart. And don't hear me say that everyone inside the church is and everyone outside the church is bad. Because we all know that it can be a little complicated. But what I'm saying is, in general, we as Christians are free to be friends with people who don't believe what we believe. But we need to be careful about the role of influence that they have on us. It's great to love and care for others, to use the love that Christ has given us and care for other people. But if someone is leading us away from God or if someone is leading us into unhealthy habits, then we should probably evaluate that friendship. We are still free, but we need to be cautious of sin which can entangle us and lead us away from God. Psalm 16 says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. We need to trust that the Lord's rules for our life and God rails for our life are for our good and that they're wise. His strict commands and his warnings in the Bible are for our good. God rails for how we are to live our life with freedom. Remember the verse that I've mentioned a few times previously. Do not, use your opportun- Do not use your freedom as opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Both parts of that verse are extremely important. We do not use our freedom to sin. We use it to love and care for one another. Even though we have been freed from our past, present, and future sins, we still sin daily. Even though we are continually learning from the Word and being sanctified in our actions, we are still fighting our remaining sinfulness. We are still addicted to sin. We have good days. We have bad days, just like every addiction. And we need to use our freedom to ensure that we don't slide back and relapse into sinful habits. If you were recovering from an unhealthy, self-destructive, others dishonoring, dangerous addiction, you would not want to put yourself into a scenario where you could relapse or put yourself around people that would encourage you to relapse. Sin is the same way. Now, what does this look like practically for us? I I know that this topic is kind of a gray area and more like conceptually rather than like physically examples. So so let's get some examples to kind of put more meat on those bones. If lust has and is a serious issue for you, then going to the beach in the middle of summer where people are wearing less clothing probably isn't the best idea right? Or if you cannot trust yourself to skip over a sexual scene in a movie, then just don't watch the movie. You wouldn't want to be in a situation where you could be tempted to cause adultery with your eyes. Going to the beach or watching a movie doesn't affect your salvation, right? The Bible doesn't say you're saved only if you don't watch these movies, But the context of the situation can disrupt your conscience and can cause you to sin. Or another example, if anger has and is a serious issue for you, then watching a news station or being friends with someone on social media that continually insults and hates their neighbor of another political party or another race, that can cause you to feel the same hatred. If you cannot listen to certain voices on the internet or news without it affecting how you think of others, maybe you shouldn't listen to that. Watching the news doesn't affect your salvation, but it can cause you anger in your heart towards others. If greed has and is a serious issue for you, then being friends with someone who is a workaholic might cause you to set your self-worth at whatever your net worth is. If you cannot be friends with someone like that without reminding him or yourself that you are more than your bank account, you might want to reevaluate how that friendship affects your heart. All of this is summed up in what Jesus says about us being the salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet." Salt is used to preserve and enhance what is good. Just as we are called to freedom to preserve what is good and enhance others' lives through our love given to us by Christ. Or to put it another way, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but rather through love serve one another. So we've learned about why we're free. Right? We're free because we no longer have the penalty for sin. But we still need to be cautious of sin. But what is the intention of our freedom? What should we use our intention for? To pick up where we left off, read verse 27 again with me. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. So in the situation in which Paul is describing, the believer doesn't necessarily need to be cautious of a bad influence. After all, it's just a dinner party, right? But then we have the next verse, verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. A dinner party is fine. It's fine. But a dinner party with the intention of worshiping false idols, not so fine. This is a Christian who has been freed from practicing idolatry in this way. It's assumed that they literally used to partake in offering meat to idols. They're freed from that. They're freed. So they don't want to fall back into that sin. And it, it can be easy for us to think this may not be a big deal because sacrificing food to idols now isn't really a problem that we have to deal with. But remember that sacrificing to false idols isn't just simply an act. It's believing that a God, a false one, but still, will give us more based on how much we sacrifice. It's not a loving relationship like we have with our God. It's a transaction. Just as money, sex, and pride promise self-fulfillment but leave us empty and wanting more, Sacrificing meat to false idols for false promises is not good for our heart and draws us farther away from the promises of free love and grace in Christ Jesus. Protecting ourselves from the false promises of sin is protecting our hearts from believing that our God isn't good and doesn't give us everything that we need. So we can see why if we cannot eat the meat without actually worshiping the idol then we shouldn't do it we don't want us to relapse into the sin of worshiping false idols just as we shouldn't play around with any sin that can cause us to fall back into self-destructive ways but starting in verse 29 we can see the real heart that paul has as his message takes a turn we're going to read from verse 28 to get the context But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Now this at first might seem a little contradictory, right? Paul says, don't eat it for the sake of others' conscience, but then says his freedom is not determined by others' conscience. What's going on here? Our freedom is not determined by someone else's conscience. Just because someone believes it's wrong doesn't necessarily, believe, doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong and that you shouldn't do it. Just because there may be a few Christians who believe getting tattoos is sinful doesn't mean I'm not going to get tattoos. However, It might mean that when I'm around those Christians, or even when I'm preaching here right now, I'm going to cover them up for the sake of of peace. I'm going to cover them up so I'm not saying, look at me, I have tattoos no matter what you think. That's not loving. Just as someone can enjoy reading the Harry Potter series... If you're around someone who struggles with reading into witchcraft or maybe comes from that past, you probably shouldn't read it around them or talk about how much you love it around them. It's just nice to do. It's kind and loving for the other person. That's what Paul is really getting at here. Your freedom is not determined by what others think, yes, but it should be used to promote unity and peace rather than strife. Or as one commentator put it, Christian freedom is not restricted by the conscience of another person. What is a moral issue to one person is not necessarily so to another. Christians refrain from eating in certain situations, not because the information someone supplies changes the character of the food, but because it changes the character of the situation. I am free to eat anything because I give thanks to God for the food. But I am also free to refuse to eat out of concern for my informants Because I put their interests ahead of mine. That's why Paul says in verse 30, If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? If Paul is sincerely doing something out of thanks for God, then he is using his freedom well no matter what other people think. Consider the example that I gave before. If you go for a nice leisurely stroll down the beach to enjoy God's beauty, spend time with him, maybe to spend time with family, then it's, it's fine. If you're not going to gawk inappropriately at people, then you're fine. But it may be a sin for someone who cannot go to the beach without doing that. The beach itself doesn't change. The beach itself is not inherently sinful, But our actions and our intentions changes the situation. So if it's our intentions which make something sinful or not, how should we check ourselves to make sure we're using our freedom well? Read the next four verses with me. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God just as I try to please everyone in everything that I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is one of the best examples in the Bible where the meaning is so clear. That doesn't have to be analysis. It doesn't have to be questioning. Context is always important, yes, but you can get the main idea without that even. When you're at home, do all to the glory of God. When you're at work, do all to the glory of God. When you do hobbies or vacations or appointments or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now that's a really good catchphrase. But what does that actually mean? Paul tells us in the next couple verses, give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So give no offense to others based on what their cultures are or what they believe. Do not seek your own advantage. And why do we do this? That they may be saved. That they may feel the love of Christ from us and want to get that love themselves. I'm talking specifically hateful words, unkind actions, prideful things done in spite, or anything of that sort, is not done for the glory of God. You can't honestly say that you're doing that for the glory of God. You're doing it for selfish purposes, either to boost your own ego or to bring others down for our own amusement. Either one is wrong. We live at peace with others so they may see and feel Christ's love for us and lead them to Christ. We cannot do that if we are using our freedom to bring others down for prideful gain or to satisfy sinful desires. Jesus says you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Letting your light shine before others, using good works, that's for the glory of God just as Paul commands us to. And just as we learned last year when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, and as we see in our text today, the difference between sin and obedience often stems from the heart, stems from our intentions. First Samuel says, man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Meat offered to idols doesn't determine whether or not we sin." Our intentions of whether or not to give thanks to God for the food and eat it, or to pridefully eat in spite of others' conscience, that determines whether or not we sin. If you can honestly say that you are honoring God's commands and that you are loving your neighbor and that you are giving thanks to God, then honestly you are free to do whatever you want. But, If you are going against a clear command in scripture, either by lying or hurting someone or whatever it may be, you cannot honestly say that you are honoring God or giving thanks to him while simultaneously disobeying his commands. We're free to drive wherever we want as long as we obey the rules of the road, right? Especially when Jesus literally says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I know that there are some who claim to be Christian, a minority of voices that are pretty loud, who use their freedom to oppress, abuse, hate, and neglect, either with words or actions. The book of 1 John says if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, We lie and do not practice the truth. So trust in the Lord. Use discernment and faith. Do not seek prideful or selfish actions, but rather glorify God in all that you do. All of that said, I know that I have been, and Stephen has been, and other people in the church, other people outside of the church even, have been extremely, extremely encouraged by the way that all of us here have handled the past year or so. We have been extremely kind and caring towards other people as we've dealt with restrictions, masks, virtual church, virtual growth groups, outside worship, inside worship. We have done it all with very, very, very little strife. And that is awesome. I am extremely encouraged by that. And other people are too. That gets noticed as people see the love that we have for one another. So ultimately, in conclusion, all of this boils down to God has set us free from sin so that we may live in love. Or yet again, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It might be helpful for you to actually memorize that verse so that when determining if something is sinful or not, you can fall back to it. As Christians, we have been set free from Christ's sacrifice for us. We are free to avoid sin, and if we fall back into it again, we can repent and have faith that we have been forgiven. As Christians, we are free to live in and partake in a world that has turned away from God without turning away ourselves. But that takes discernment. We are free to enter into a mosque for a tour or to visit other countries with different religions. We're free to even go into a spooky graveyard on Halloween because we know that our location doesn't determine our salvation. Although we should probably use discernment on whether or not others will get the wrong idea of Christ from us doing so, or if we would feel tempted to participate in whatever is happening. We are free to go to the movie theaters and see whatever film that we want. Although we should discern if the content of the film will cause us to sin or not. There was a really great article that I read a while ago that talked about how, you know, violence in movies, that's fake. They're not really killing people on screen. But nudity in movies, that's more often than not a real person that you are sinning against by looking at them inappropriately. That's how I've been judging things, and we need to remember how Jesus says how our eyes affect our heart, right? The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So we're free to watch whatever we want to watch, but we need to use discernment of whether or not it will cause us to sin. It's not worth it if it does. There's plenty of entertainment out there. In the same way we are free to spend our money however we please but we should discern if what we are buying can be used to honor and thank god or if it's just another trinket that will be here today gone tomorrow could your money be spent in other ways such as buying a gift for someone or taking a friend out to dinner consider how you can bless others with the blessings that god has given you with your freedom now some of you may have noticed that we have one final verse to discuss. And that's because I was leaving it for the end. Cherry on top. Chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not going to spend the entire letter telling you every single little thing you can do in Corinth and whether or not it's sinful. But I will tell you, to make sure that you are glorifying God and loving your neighbor, but when it comes to specific actions you do, follow me as I follow Christ. And this is huge for us now. We have the Bible to teach us about God, to give us clear guardrails for our life, instruction for how to live a life glorifying to Him. But in terms of specifics, there are others who have been following Christ a long, long time and can therefore appoint us to answers in the Word, or guide us in specifics that the Word may not talk about. That's why the church commands us to have elders, and why we are considering elders for our church now. So if you have questions on specifics, should I watch this movie? Should I read these books? Should I drink alcohol with my past of this or that? Ask someone who you know is following Christ. Have accountability. I have had moments in my past where I honestly did not know if an activity was sinful or not. I had to ask trusted advisors, what do you think? And they asked me the hard questions. Why are you doing this? Do you need to do this? Et cetera, et cetera. How to evaluate my heart to make sure that I was doing this well, for the right intentions or not, and if it would hurt my representation of Christ to others. So as I close, hear these words from the book of First Timothy, which encourage us to look to the Bible for guidance of how to use our freedom, not to satisfy the flesh, but to lovingly serve one another. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the freedom that you have given us in Christ. We thank you so much that we don't have to be fearful of spiritual death because you have took that penalty for us. Lord, we thank you so much for the freedom that we have in you, the freedom that we have in this country, this freedom that we have in this world. I pray that we would use discernment on how to use that freedom well, that we would trust in you, that we would look to your commands, that we would pray, that we would ask others, that we would take our freedom seriously, Lord, that we would use it to the glory of you. In Christ's name.